this is the in focus podcast from the hindu hello and welcome to the in focus podcast this is g sampath your host for today's episode earlier this week on thursday japan's new prime minister fumio kishida dissolved the lower house of parliament paving the way for general elections which are scheduled for october 31st Japanese politics has for long been dominated by the conservative liberal democratic party or the LDP as it's known for much of its post-war history. Under Shinzo Abe, Japan's longest serving prime minister who stepped down in September 2020, the LDP has moved further to the right. Abe's successor Yoshihide Suga uh, lasted just a year. His growing unpopularity meant that the party did not want to go to elections under his leadership. and he stepped down last month making way for former foreign minister fumio kishida to take over under kishida the ldp has built a sizable lead in approval ratings with nearly 47% of those polled in different opinion polls saying that they will vote for his party but kishida has some tough challenges facing him even as covid-19 is still around the economy has been battered by the pandemic and the rich poor divide has only grown sharper in japan under the growth centric policies of shinzo abe so is it going to be an easy win for kishida given the leader leadership position that the party enjoys in the opinion polls right now and even if the ldp wins is he likely to enjoy a long tenure as pm or is japan headed for a replay of the unstable 1990s which saw almost a different prime minister every every other year so how will the new regime navigate also the growing hostility between the us and china uh, given that china is one of largest uh, trading partners and an immediate and powerful neighbor as well so with the world's third largest economy heading for elections uh, later this month we explore all these questions with stanley joining international affairs editor at the hindu stanley thank you so much for joining us thanks sampan uh, thanks for having me here uh, stanley to start off with a very basic uh, question how does it happen that you become the prime minister of your country and within two weeks you know the parliament is dissolved and you have to go and uh, campaign in order to become the prime minister all over again i mean can you explain how the japanese system works and why the new pm has to pass the electoral test as it were less than a month into his tenure yeah yeah sampad it sounds very japanese you see the main reason is that under yoshihide suga the liberal democratic party uh, its popularity was plunging and uh, on the other side uh, the lower house of parliament the house of representative it is elected for four years so the four year term is ending now on october 21st so according to the constitution article 7 of the constitution you need to ho- hold the elections within 30 days so anyway you know japan has to hold elections by the end of november so that is one thing so one option the liberal democrats had was to go to elections under the leadership of suga but you see suga started off his uh, prime ministership with 50% approval and even at the beginning of this year uh, he had this 50 plus approval rating which is uh, actually crashed down to almost 20 plus percent during the olympics time so suga uh, managed to hold the olympics with practically no spectators watching it in the stadiums covid uh, crisis was there the economy even even if you look at other industrialized economies such as the united states and uh, the chinese economy the return to growth post i mean after battered by covid but japan's economy remains sluggish 
So all these problems were mounting uh, one after another. And Suga's leadership was called into question. So then the LDP elite, they were not confident of going to the polls under Suga's leadership. So what you have to do, you don't have much time. You have only a few months or rather a few weeks. So what you have to do is that you need to elect a new leader and go to the polls under a new, you know, under his leadership with a new new face. So that's why Suga, I think, then Suga came under pressure and then he resigned. So LDP initially, they held an intra-party election and then they chose Kishida as their leader. And constitutionally, you need to go to the polls before November, before the end of November. So what Kishida did that he was trying to capitalize on the momentum, you know, the momentum of the change of guard. He is the new face, the new leader. So the voters are looking up to him to know what he is going to do. And also uh, he became prime minister and then you have only a three week window before the elections, which means the ruling party, which has more resources than the opposition can or Kishida's strategy, I think, is that the ruling party can go to the voters can amplify its messages, reach out to them better than the opposition could do. So that's why he quickly called call for the elections because the elections could be held in November as well. But he wanted to capitalize on this momentum and then win a fresh mandate from the Japanese public. So this is the constitutional and political calculus behind the elections or behind the political changes that are happening in Japan right now. Right. Now, uh, coming to the elections themselves, what are likely to be the main uh, issues on which the elections uh, would be fought? Like what is what is top of mind for the voters and what are the opposition parties demanding and what are the main uh, issues that are likely to be top of the agenda? See, I think broadly we can categorize the, the issues into three. One is, of course, COVID. And second is economy. Third is foreign policy or China. So these three issues, I think, uh, in a larger point of view, are going to dominate the electoral agenda. But if you go deeper, you know, of course, there are differences between uh, LDP and uh, the other party and the Constitutional Democratic Party, especially on issues of rights, you know, even, uh, you know, the right to use different surnames for a couple, etc., etc. But broadly, let's look at these three issues. So economy is a main main issue because... Uh, as I said, Japan's economic growth remains sluggish on the one side. On the other side, it is also uh, faced with growing inequality like any other industrialized economies. And uh, these issues became worse during the COVID period because during the COVID period, even the growth has crashed down. And then, uh, you know, uh, there was no wage uh, increase. If you look at real wages, there were studies that there was no, practically there was no increase over the last four or five years. This is a major issue even within the LDP tent as well. Because if you look at the elections within the LDP for the leadership race, Kishida's approaches, uh, you know, surprisingly uh, sounded more like uh, a center-left politician's policies because he was talking about a new capitalism. He was talking about redistributing wealth. So uh, this is because the economic issue is so grave, which even the LDP is now realizing that this is a major problem. And COVID, the actual numbers, I think, have come down to less than 2,000. But still, it remains a major problem because Japan is very slowly opening up the economy. Uh, vaccination is some 60 to 70 percent of the population uh, have got the first uh, dose of the vaccines. So slowly, Japan has to come back to its pre-COVID life or, or at least with 
you know, COVID remaining under the control, the Japan has to adjust with the new normal. And the Japanese think that uh, Suga's period, uh, you know, the Suga government's handling of the COVID crisis was catastrophic. So the new leadership has to build that confidence, has to offer something to the public about how to or how to win the trust of the public in dealing with the pandemic. The third is, of course, you know, the foreign policy issue is the major problem is uh, China, because Japan, uh, I think, is gradually taking a more hawkish stand, irrespective of who the leader is towards China. And this, this position is also shaped by uh, external factors such as, you know, China's crackdown on Hong Kong or the rise of tensions with Taiwan or, or even the United States growing focus on East Asia and the Indo-Pacific region where the United States recently reached an agreement with Australia, the US and Britain from the AUKUS. So the geopolitical, you see the geopolitical weight is gradually and steadily shifting towards uh, East Asia and Japan cannot stay away from that because Japan is anyway, Japan, you know, Taiwan and China, uh, Japan have to deal with these two or any conflict that would arise out of or around the Taiwan issue, Japan cannot stay out of it. So uh, these three issues, I think, would largely dominate uh, uh, the electoral agenda this time. Sampad. Okay, speaking of policy issues and, and what, what are going to figure top of mind for the voter, uh, what are the main divergences in, in approach to these three issues between Kishida and the LDP and the opposition uh, Constitutional Democratic uh, Party? Are they differing? Are they offering different things uh, to the voters on these three issues or on any other issue in order to, which, which would be necessary if they're going to be giving a, a real choice or are they on the same page with just uh, very cosmetic differences? See, uh, if you, you know, look at LDP and the opposition, traditionally LDP, as you rightly pointed out in your, you know, introduction, that LDP is a big trend of conservative and right-wing politicians of Japan. And LDP has dominated Japanese politics throughout its post-war period. You know, it, it, it was uh, defeated only twice in the history since, since mid-1950s. And the most recent was in 2009, when the Democratic Party was, was still there, the Democratic Party defeated LDP. Now, the Constitutional Democratic Party, which is actually which rose from the ruins of the Democratic Party. The Democratic Party was in power for only for three years and then, uh, you know, it collapsed. It was when the Democratic Party was in power that the tsunami happened or the Fukushima disaster happened. That kind of destroyed the party's prospects, those crises. And then the party leadership fell out uh, with each other and it splintered into many groups. And then with the Constitutional Democratic Party, the, the former Democratic Party leaders are coming together and putting together a proper center-left platform to take on the LDP. The LDP on the other side remained a big hegemon. Uh, you know, it is a big tent in which you have conservative politicians, you have hard uh, right politicians. Uh, and you also have, sometimes at least in terms of economic policies, you have uh, center-left politicians. But LDP's politics has largely been dominated by the conservative right-wing uh, wings of the party. So this is how it is traditionally uh, these two parties are differentiated. Now, when it comes to the current issue, you know, Shinzo Abe uh, had uh, adopted a very uh, neoclassical economic policy which had its pluses and minuses as well. On the one side, Japan returned to growth, but at the same time, inequality widened. And Shinzo Abe also wanted to take a more, uh, you know, hawkish, uh, let's say, if, if we, we can use that word, 
or more aggressive approach towards uh, China or to, uh, on Japan's defense policies, uh, which is in contrast with the pacifist post-war constitution Japan has. So I think if you look at it from that point of view, Kishida is more likely to take these positions, not on the economic policy, but on foreign policy is likely to take it further. Uh, because uh, Kishida has already mentioned, already you know, uh, said it several times that uh, he wants to bolster uh, the defense capabilities of Japan. And on economic policy, the Liberal Democratic Party realizes that there are challenges, as we have already discussed. There are challenges that need to be fixed. So on economic policy, Kishida is now talking about a new capitalism. He is talking about income distribution. He is talking about raising taxes on the rich. He is talking about, uh, you know, government intervention in raising salaries to make sure that there is increase in real wage. So these are the agendas apparently, you know, taken up by uh, uh, the uh, Constitutional Democratic Party, the uh, CDJP. So uh, uh, when it comes to the economic policy, you see the policies pursued by CDJP, uh, you know, uh, and uh, uh, Kishida, uh, Liberal Democratic Party, you know, there, there are these are getting blurred. Uh, but on the other side, if you go a little deeper into the policies, we can see that CDJP is taking a more progressive positions uh, on individual rights, uh, you know, uh, and the CDJP is also trying to build a, a coalition against uh, uh, the Liberal Democratic Party. Recently, I think a couple of days ago, uh, the Communist Party of Japan, the Social Democratic Party of Japan, and another uh, small party, uh, they came together with the CDJP uh, to reach some kind of an electoral understanding. And the CDJP's leader, Yukio Adano, says that we would, uh, we, we would want to win this election at any cost. So they are trying to bring together all the small opposition parties. And then they say that CDJP, uh, you know, says that they are backing same-sex marriages. They want to ensure that, uh, you know, uh, equality for everybody, uh, including um, uh, gay people uh, before the law. Uh, and they also support, you know, which is a major social issue in Japan. They also support a uh, uh, couple using different surnames. Uh, so on these issues, basically based on individual freedom and rights, these issues CDJP is taking up. While on the other side, uh, you know, the LDP, uh, while on the economic side, the LDP is talking about income distribution. On social policies, it remains conservative uh, because uh, Kishida has already said that uh, he won't support uh, same-sex marriages because he thinks that it questions the fundamental structure of Japan's family system and social values. Uh, so that is coming out of his conservative or LDP's conservative belief system. So he is sticking on to it. So you can see these differences. You can also see some similarities on uh, bigger approaches. When it comes to foreign policy, one thing is that there is a large consensus in Japan on uh, issues uh, like your alliance with the United States or you know challenges uh, coming from China or Japan's uh, position in East Asia, etc., etc. There is a large consensus. And we should also keep in mind that this consensus was, uh, you know, built by uh, the LDP's hegemonic influence over Japan's polity. So, as I said earlier, there were only two occasions when the LDP were out of power. So, in 2009, when they lost power, the Democratic Party was in power. Basically, there was, you know, the relationship with the United States had taken a hit. Uh, it was a major issue. But still, even when the Democratic Party was in power, there was, you know, uh, when, when it comes to issues like American 
forces in uh, in Japan, the Democratic Party couldn't do anything about it. Uh, you know, Okinawa, which is in the southern uh, part of the Japanese islands, uh, some 5,000 American troops are there in Okinawa. So these issues, I think no party can, uh, at least for now, can, uh, you know, uh, take a decision against the uh, consensus. Uh, but at the same time, uh, there you can see uh, some differences, uh, for example, uh, the LDP under uh, now Kishida or under Shinzo Abe, uh, LDP is taking, you know, it's a gradual process. The gradually that they, they are becoming more aggressive when it comes to their foreign policy. And this aggressiveness is, uh, you know, as, as we saw, uh, uh, all, uh, is also shaped by external factors because tensions are rising uh, on Japan's shores. So that is one thing, whereas the Democratic Party, the Constitutional Democratic Party, or the Constitutional Democratic Party has come together with the Communists and the Social Democrats, who are clearly on the left. They are, uh, uh, you know, uh, inclined towards, uh, inclined more towards Japan's post-war uh, pacifism. So these these differences uh, you can actually see. But in the election, you know, as we discussed earlier, uh, uh, if you look at the opinion polls, the the uh, Liberal Democratic Party with uh, uh, Kishida at its helm uh, now commands, uh, uh, you know, kind of, uh, of, of close to 50 percent. Uh, support among the uh, electorates, whereas uh, the opposition party, which is trying to cobble together an alliance, which is trying to take on, uh, you know, the LDP on social issues, on on foreign policy issues, uh, etc., on COVID, you know, because uh, the, the opposition has blasted LDP's handling of COVID uh, uh, during the, you know, the most recent wave. So they are trying to take up these issues, but at the same time, the opposition is splintered and the opposition's rating, according to most opinion polls, do not even touch uh, double digits. So uh, the point is that despite the differences between these two, despite multiple issues, different issues they are taking up, don't expect a miracle in the election. Right. So, uh, Stanley, uh, we are running out of time. So, one final uh, question where I would like you to uh, come in. Uh, on the question of foreign policy, you just spoke about how there is a general uh, consensus across parties on, uh, with regard to the uh, uh, relationship with the United States, uh, with its bases there and so on. Uh, but there has uh, been some changes uh, in global geopolitics where the focus, as you rightly pointed out, is shifting towards East Asia and there is hostility between the US and China. And uh, Japan on its uh, for itself uh, has also had some uh, friction with regard to some islands in the East China Sea, uh, which, is, which have uh, conflicting claims from Japan and China as well. So given this a sort of trend towards hawkishness in foreign policy. How do you think uh, it's going to play out in terms of balancing between the US and China? Uh, and the fact that China is a very powerful neighbor as well. Yeah, uh, Sampath, I think one geopolitical development that happened almost at the same time when Kishida became the prime minister of Japan was the AUKUS agreement between the United States, uh, the United Kingdom and Australia. I think the AUKUS agreement is, uh, you know, uh, one of the most important geopolitical developments of this century. Uh, because, uh, you know, it, I, when Kishida was the foreign minister, foreign minister of uh, Abe, 
uh, he emphasized uh, uh, on diplomacy you know building building relationships and japan for a long time also while it remained you know closely linked with the united states as an ally it also uh, tried to walk a tightrope between the united states and china because japan knows japan and even australia uh, they knew that their prosperity would depend on their economic cooperation with uh, uh, with china so this was uh, the unwritten understanding in tokyo or in, in uh, canberra or most of this uh, capitals in you know uh, in in southeast asia or in the pacific region but you see aukus has uh, defied that trend so australia despite its economic interdependence with china has decided to embrace the united states in a, a far you know in in a strategic agreement that will have far reaching geopolitical impact because australia is now acquiring uh, uh, nuclear submarines from the united states and the uk and the united states would also get greater access to australia's ports the united states navy so this is a long term process it will take 8 to 10 years but in 8 to 10 years the united states and britain would try to balance against china's growing influence in the indo pacific region and australia despite being economically interdependent with china you know uh, on chinese trade etc etc has taken this decision i think this would be uh, you know a uh, 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 you know a game changer when it comes to other countries as well because Ch japan is also japan is closer uh, to china than australia is japan is more you know uh, uh, intertwined with the conflicts in the region because uh, it it is as you said uh, there is a dispute in east china sea um, over over a group of islands uh and then uh, japan sees that any chinese attempt uh, uh, you know to take over taiwan or chinese aggressive move on taiwan will have a bearing on japan as well uh but you can also see that japan is becoming uh increasingly forthright in in, in its opposition towards china despite its its trade uh, interdependence with china because when Yoshi yoshihida suga went to washington dc and met joe biden they issued a joint communique in which they shared common they, they they raised shared concerns about stability in japan this in in taiwan this was the first time taiwan is appearing a us japanese joint statement in say for for for, for decades so these issues are now coming back to the fore of japan's foreign policy agenda and you look at kishida's foreign policy speeches kishida says that he supports building missile capabilities uh, to boost japan's uh, defense uh, capabilities because if japan is uh, coming under attack japan will have to be in a position to deter those attacks so he is building it from a deterrence point of view but still he is basically anchoring his foreign policy on a stronger uh, defense policy uh, so uh, these are gradual steps we can see that japan is uh, taking uh, a more hawkish position uh, on china especially when tensions are going up in the region so i think this will continue you know um irrespective whether i mean it has to be seen uh, that whether kishida even if he wins the election will be able to stabilize uh, you know uh, uh, japanese politics will will be able to offer a stable governance etc uh, etc et because uh, this uh, liberal democratic party it's not easy to take the liberal democratic party together under one man's leadership abe succeeded in it but it we will have to wait and see but i think irrespective of the leadership there there are certain trends we can see in japan's foreign policy and all those trends suggest that japan would take a, 
a more hawkish position in the years to come right right it does it does seem to be a very exciting time for uh, scholars of geopolitics here because uh, it's interesting that uh, you know kishida has been a foreign minister and has met uh, most of the top leaders and he knows them and they know him as well and there would be a, a comfort level uh, with him and if he comes back as the prime minister we could expect uh, that at least the anglophone world uh, would be more comfortable with someone of his stature and his track record coming in Stanley, thank you so much for uh, sharing your insights and comments on the Japanese elections that are coming up. Uh, look forward to doing this again. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Ampal. Thank you very much. In Focus will be back soon with analysis of the biggest news issues. In the meantime, you can find our podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and other platforms. Just search for In Focus by the Hindu. We'll see you soon.